This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This is episode number 111 of our weekly series. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip back in time down memory lane and we bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago exactly as it happened, written in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we're in the week of December 6th to 12th, 1971. Now, if you like what we do here uh, each week on the podcast, every day on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff and special content that our subscribers get from time to time, several times a month. These special uh, podcasts allow us to go more deeply into the subject matter of the day and to tell the stories the way they deserve to be told. This week, our Patreon subscribers got a big update on the World Hockey Association, and we've got some other neat stuff in the hopper coming up very soon. Now, before I get started this week with the news, uh, I'd like to tell you a bit about a project uh, that my good friend Dale Morrissey is engaged in right now. Dale is a producer of some extraordinary documentaries. He's currently engaged in putting the finishing touches on his current effort, which is a documentary called Being Leafs Nation, all about Leafs fans and what it is to root for the Maple Leafs. It's scheduled to be released this fall on PBS and on digital and DVD formats. To help with the finishing up costs, Dale has started a crowdfunding program. If you'd like to support Dale's work, Go to my 50 Years Ago in Hockey Facebook page. You're going to find a post there where the link to the crowdfunding page exists. And you can go there to help Dale out. Thanks very much. So this week, uh, 50 years ago, we're in the final month of 1971, uh, getting near the end of the year as it uh, as it turns out. There's lots of hockey news to get to this week. And first up, we want to tell you just what the NHL standings were back then. In the Eastern Division, as we headed into this week, the New York Rangers were in first place with 38 points with a uh, 17-4-4 record. And they were just two points ahead of the second place, Boston Bruins and Montreal Canadiens. But Boston got the nod for second with their 17-5-2 record. Canadians 
had only lost three games, but they'd only won 15. They had six ties. Back in fourth spot, the Maple Leafs, but they were a ways out with 26 points. Detroit in fifth with 21. Vancouver with 18. And bringing up the rear, the Sabres, one point back of the Canucks with 17 points based on their six wins, 16 losses, and five ties. In the Western Division, shockingly, the Minnesota North Stars were in first place. Not only a shock because they were ahead of the mighty Chicago Blackhawks, who were three points behind them, but because they were first overall in the league. They had 39 points, one more than the Rangers. As we mentioned, the Blackhawks were in second place. The Pittsburgh Penguins were nine points back of the Blackhawks in third. Then came the St. Louis Blues for the fourth and final playoff spot. They were five points back of Pittsburgh. The Seals had gotten up to close to a playoff spot. They had 21 points, one behind the Blues. They were tied with the Flyers and bringing up the rear, the awful Los Angeles Kings with a record of five wins, 21 losses, and one tie had just 11 points. So as the week began, many Canadian hockey fans were up in arms on Monday morning. More than one million people missed the National Hockey League game between the Bruins and the Maple Leafs on Saturday evening because of contract troubles between the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and the National Association of Broadcast Employee Technicians, that's NABET. The technicians returned to work on Sunday, but approximately 24 NABET technicians didn't work Saturday night. The CBC was notified on Saturday morning that the technicians were involved in, quote, study sessions. It's all over a a labor dispute. Cameras and complex equipment couldn't be set up at Maple Leaf Gardens without the technicians. So the game, which was scheduled for the Ontario Regional Network, simply couldn't be shown. Hockey Night in Canada producer Bob Gordon said that he'd estimate about a million people, probably actually more, would have watched the game had it been televised, but they were left basically out in the cold. Also affected were fans in Boston who expected to see the game on Boston's Channel 38. Estimates of the Boston viewership ranged from 200,000 to actually about a million as well. Bob Goldham, the Hockey Night in Canada commentator, said, if I'd have known, I'd have stayed at home and watched the rest of the football game. (laughs) Well, here's a a great story from this week. Uh, Actually, uh, it was on the weekend of the the previous week, but we report that in this week. When is a... uh, NHL player scored his first, second, and third NHL goals all in the same game. I don't know the answer for all of them, but I do know about one of them because that took place this week. Rookie forward Craig Ramsey of the Buffalo Sabres got all three of those first NHL goals, first, second, and third, in a game Sunday night in Buffalo 
at the odd against the visiting Minnesota North Stars. And what makes this even more remarkable? The Sabres won the game 3-1. to Ramsey was the entire Sabres offense scoring all three goals in a win over the North Stars, who at that point in time had the best points total in the entire National Hockey League. And that was really quite a feat for the second year Buffalo Sabres. Now, Craig Ramsey turned out to be a very good National Hockey League forward. He wasn't a scorer by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly did turn quite a few heads early on in his career with this hat trick to get his first three goals. You've probably heard me talk about the movie Face Off that uh, Toronto entrepreneur John Bassett has uh, kind of bankrolled. And it's been released uh, around Canada. Uh, Lots of interesting things. Well, Johnny Bassett talked about the movie this week. And here's something I didn't know. And this, by the way, never. we had an evening at uh, Mike Wilson's place in Toronto where we had the cast of, uh, well, some of the members of the cast of the movie Face Off, including uh, Art Hindle. And Jim McKenney was there and Jim Dore. And we, we talked about the movie and they gave us some really interesting memories of the movie. This didn't come out at the time. Johnny Bassett told uh, Milt Dunnell of the Toronto Star that he was going to change the name of the movie before it opened in Boston this week for its run in the United States market. As we mentioned, it was already out in Canada. The reason? Bassett doesn't want the movie identified as a hockey picture. But that's apparently what's happened. Bassett said the evidence is ample. In Leaf Territory, business for the show is great. The best spot of all, however, is in St. John's, Newfoundland, where the Leafs are practically the home club. In Peterborough, where the Leafs used to train every fall, they set a record for um, movie attendance in that town. But, Bassett says, they got killed in Montreal and Vancouver. It looked like a great break for us when we got exposure on Hockey Night in Canada, but actually it hurt because Faceoff became more closely identified with hockey, and it's really a story about young people finding their way. Do you ever wonder back in 1971, 72, uh, why there were so few shooting the puck over the glass penalties. Well, it seemed the NHL absolutely hates to have that penalty being called. Now, we wonder why. Why would you worry about something like that when guys are just delaying the game and slowing it down? Well, it seems that the lawyerly types who allegedly run the league don't want to be held liable if a spectator is injured by a puck propelled into the stands in that manner by a player allegedly intentionally. By holding the offending player accountable on the ice, these lawyer types figure it's an admission of culpability of the player, which would not lead to a favorable outcome in a court case launched by an injured spectator. So that's why the players get away with this maneuver constantly uh, here in the early 1970s. And I guess the refs that do make that call probably just didn't get the memo. When the Vancouver Canucks were in New York this week to play the Rangers, an intrepid hockey reporter who shall remain unnamed 
asked Canucks superstar, young superstar, Dale Talon, if he were going to accept the gigantic offer given to him by a World Hockey Association team to switch leagues at the end of this season. Dale Talon actually was genuinely surprised by the question. If Dale Talon was going to quit the NHL Canucks for a WHA outfit, he said he'd like to know about it. Talon told the reporter, it's all news to me. This is the first I've even heard of it. If anybody did want me, I would say they probably have to approach Mr. Eagleson first. That's Alan Eagleson, who of course is uh, Talon's lawyer, basically agent. Eagleson, the lawyer for Talon and other NHL players, was contacted by the sports writer who remained unnamed in this news piece and uh, he wasn't available or just didn't want to make a comment on this. Interesting that maybe Eagleson was talking to the WHA and not telling his client. I wonder if that's something Eagleson would engage in on a regular basis. That is, talking to teams without letting his client know what he was talking about. The St. Louis Blues put young forward Michelle Perizzo on waivers this week for the purposes of sending him to one of their two farm teams, but he didn't make it out of the NHL because the Philadelphia Flyers claimed the winger. Now, Perizzo hadn't got much ice time with St. Louis, so the Flyers figured they might as well give him a shot with them, but it was a little more to the story than that. You see, there's a connection here with uh, Perizzo and the Flyers. Never had been before. But last year, Mike Perizzo, as he was uh, known uh, down in Omaha, Nebraska, played for the New York Rangers Central Hockey League farm team in that city. And the coach there was present Flyers bench boss, Freddie Shiro. Now, Freddie knows the player Perizzo very well, played for him last year, and he figures he can get the best out of this 21-year-old. Perizzo last year in Omaha had 31 goals, 45 assists in the Central Hockey League, and so they, we know he can put the puck in the net, and maybe Freddie Shiro can get him to do it regularly in the NHL. Syndicated Canadian sports columnist Jim Coleman, and someday I should do a whole show just about Jim Coleman. Well, this week he was talking about comments made by the renowned hockey coach out from Alberta, Claire Drake, for whom, by the way, I have immense respect. Uh, Drake asked why Canada is not going to the 1972 Olympics. Well, Mr. Coleman seems to capture the essence of the matter perfectly in a column early this week. Jim writes, there are voices in the wind, faint voices although, you cannot ignore because you never should turn your back on a man in distress on the lonely winter prairies. One voice borne by the prevailing northwest wind can be heard clearly in Toronto all the way from Edmonton. It is the voice of Claire Drake, coach of the University of Alberta hockey team. Mr. Drake keeps repeating these words. Why isn't Canada sending a hockey team to the 1972 Olympic Games in Japan? The question deserves an answer because other Canadians who aren't as persistently articulate as Claire Drake may share his sentiments. There are many idealists in every country on this globe Thank goodness. But Mr. Drake's articulate question is going to receive a rather blunt answer. 
Canada isn't sending a hockey team to Japan because the Olympic Games hockey tournament is operated by the very same sons of blisters who operate the International Ice Hockey Federation. It's time the Canadians realize that Bunny Ahern operates the Olympic hockey tournaments every four years just as certainly as he operates his nifty little annual world hockey tournaments. Now don't get the idea that the 1972 Olympic hockey tournament is being put together by a group of nice Japanese gentlemen sitting around a tea house in Sapporo. Those nice Japanese gentlemen have delegated all the planning authority to Ahern and the IIHF. There's nothing new about all this, you know. Bunny operated the Olympic hockey tournament for the French in Grenoble in 1968. He also operated Olympic hockey tournament for the Austrians at Innsbruck in 1964. And it was the same thing at Squaw Valley in 1960 and Cortina in 1956. The host countries all delegated the tournament operations to the International Ice Hockey Federation. You're beginning to get the message now, aren't you? Canada officially withdrew from IIHF competition 23 months ago because Canadians were tired of being bamboozled by IIHF delegates who made some promises which of course were promptly broken. The Canadian Amateur Hockey Association and Hockey Canada made the decision to boycott the IIHF tournaments and their decision received approval of our federal government. Canada said flatly that it won't play in any tournament operated by the IIHF until that organization agrees to, quote, open competition. By open competition, Canada means the use of some Canadian-born professional hockey players. Well, the IIHF still hasn't agreed to open competition. Canada hadn't the slightest intention of playing professionals in an Olympic tournament, you know, but the Olympic tournament at Sapporo is being operated by the IIHF. Thus, Canada's boycott of the IIHF tournament automatically prevents Canada from sending a hockey team to next February's Winter Olympics in Sapporo. And that is the story on that. Well, it looked this week like the plans to build that brand new arena in East Hamilton at Highway 20 and Barton Street hit some sort of a snag. Well, the city council just wasn't sure about this plan. And they thought the guys that had the uh, World Hockey Association Ontario franchise basically were operating with a, bu a bunch of smoke and mirrors. But Harold Ballard, of all people, the new president of the Maple Leafs, has stepped up and wants to rescue this WHA team. He has offered Maple Leaf Gardens to these folks that they could play their home games there. Ballard is advising the WHA promoters of a proposition whereby the World Hockey Association team would get executive quarters, dressing rooms, and even training facilities at Maple Leaf Gardens. The fee asked by Ballard and the Gardens Board is believed to be $25,000 per game or... 50% of the gross because the gardens would have to drop at least one ice show and clear other dates including several Saturdays the WHA would be asked 
to post a $500,000 bond, which would guarantee that it finishes the season. Posting that money might just guarantee they don't. Derek Sanderson came out this week and said, Boston and the Bruins are really good to me. I don't want to leave. Now, the reason this came up was because Sanderson disclosed that he had received a most interesting offer from the World Hockey Association. How interesting was it? Well, Derek didn't say, but apparently the offer involved more than $250,000. That came to light when Sanderson was told that the WHA had made a $250,000 to Pete Mahovlich of the Canadians. And Sanderson said they offered me a lot more than that. Sanderson related, the bid was made by a man from Miami, later identified as Herb Martin. He is the millionaire owner of the new Miami franchise and the guy building that big arena convention center shopping complex in downtown Miami. Well, Sandy wasn't the only person disclosing offers this week, or at least having offers being disclosed. Ben Haskin, owner of the Winnipeg Jets franchise in the WHA, revealed early this week that he had obtained the World Hockey Association rights to Bobby Hull of the Chicago Blackhawks. Haskin, who talked with the Chicago forward last weekend in Vancouver, remember they were all denying that? Well, the Canadian press is reporting that that conversation did take place. The Winnipeg owner has said he would be willing to offer Hull a five-year contract totaling $1 million. The Canadian press says that the WHA clubs each drafted four players at a meeting 10 days ago, but Hatskin said he will not reveal the names of the other three players he has secured the WHA rights to. The WHA draft works the same as the NHL Junior Draft, giving each club rights to certain players and preventing other teams in the league from attempting to sign players not on their list. The WHA will draft all professional players at a meeting scheduled for late January or early February. So a few days later, Bob Verde, the very fine hockey reporter, actually general sports reporter for the Chicago Tribune, he decided to find out just what was going on with all this. So he asked a question, Bobby Hall, left wing Winnipeg Jets, and the answer received is, well, not quite just yet. The famed star of the Blackhawks denied a report out of Winnipeg that he'd been offered a five-year, $1 million contract. Hall told Bob Verde, somebody's having pipe dreams. I don't know anything about it. I've never been approached. The report said that Jets owner Ben Hatskin met with Hall last week in Vancouver. And actually, Hatskin says, we just waved hello in Vancouver. He said, I'll be in Toronto this weekend, though, and I think the Hawks are going to be somewhere in the area as well. If not, I'll bet you Bobby Hull will be. Hatskin said each of the WHA club had drafted the players, and Hull was on there, and he said that Hull is the only superstar that he would go after for his team. But he doesn't know whether the figure of a million dollars for five years would be quite right. Hull might not last another five years, according to Ben Haskin. 
Away from the players a bit, the Minnesota North Stars general manager, Ren Blair, had lung surgery this week. He had a little bit of a lung removed. Uh, It was all due to a condition, uh, actually pneumonia, that he had when he was a young person. And it's gotten worse over the years. So they did the surgery. He came through it with flying colors. He's going to be just fine. He's going to be convalescing at home for a few weeks before he's allowed to get back behind the desk and continue building his North Stars. Here's a neat uh, kids hockey story out of Coldwater, Ontario. And this is from the Canadian press. At the age of eight, Chris Contos has played his last game of Adam hockey at the Coldwater and District Community Center. As a third-year player in the Adam division, ages four to eight, Chris was the scoring leader last summer, but he returned for one more year. He's old enough that his age lets him do that. In a weekend game, he finally got the message across. His team, the Flyers, defeated the Sabres 16-1 to with Chris scoring all 16 goals for the Flyers. So the Minor Hockey Association in Coldwater says this is getting a bit ridiculous and Chris now has been moved up to the squirt division playing with lads aged 8 to 12. I wonder if Chris has a future in hockey. Looks like the Red Wings have lost fine young forward Guy Chiron for an undetermined period of time, at least two more weeks. The Detroit left winger entered a Detroit osteopathic hospital for surgery on a facial bone fracture he suffered in a November 28th game with Montreal. The fracture apparently hasn't healed properly and surgery was planned to uh, correct whatever problem it was. And it looks like, according to the doctors, Guy Chiron out of action for a couple more weeks. This new third man in rule to altercations is causing some confusion amongst officials, coaches, players, uh, and we present for you a call this week by referee Dave Newell, one of the NHL's newer officials. Uh, this account, of course, is from uh, one side of the equation, the California Seals side. We want to make the, the point here that this call probably uh, may have been incorrect, but it wasn't Dave Newell's fault. Vic Stasiak, the coach of the uh, of the Seals, was pretty uh, upset. He said it was ridiculous losing Ivan Boldrev really hurt us. Boldrev was thrown out of a game for being third man in. But here's how the scenario went. The game was less than four minutes old when Dave Newell raised his arms signaling a delayed holding penalty on Ivan Boldrev. At that point, the Flyers goalie, Doug Favell, skated to his bench and a skater replaced him. The play continued until, you know, would continue until Philly scores or the Seals regained the puck, at which time Boldrev would just go to the penalty box and serve his two minutes. Well, uh, Stasiuk describes, he says, our boy Paul Schmier checked Gary Dornhofer into the boards. Dorney came out with a stick up and in comes Boldrev to play the puck. He just gave Dornhofer a little shove, but he was going for the puck. So then Newell blows the bloody whistle. The man with the red armband then filled up the penalty box. He gave two minutes each to Schmier and Dornhofer for high sticking. He gave two minutes to Boldrev for holding and two minutes to our Seals bench penalty. And no one knows why he did that. And then to kick it all off, he banished Boldrev from the game. And the reason Newell gave was he was told, his instructions were, the third man into an altercation 
gets a game misconduct as he's told the rule says. Well, the problem is, what do you call an altercation? The two players basically bumped together, sticks were raised, and then they decide to give him a penalty, but there was no dropping of gloves. There was no fight. He wasn't third man in the fight. The rule just says it's an altercation. Dave Newell figures that kind of thing was an altercation. And so he believed he was completely right in banishing Ivan Boldarev. And that's too bad for the Seals. Okay, football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring National Football League game. But the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the National Football League, you'll be a winner once a single point scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple with DraftKings. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet a dollar on any team to score, and you could win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required, and this offer is good once per customer. Some restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for all the details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, how's this for an unexpected sports parlay? Charlie Finley to pull up stakes in Oakland and in one swift move transfer both his Major League Baseball and his Major League Hockey team east. Where would the team set up shop? Would you believe... Washington, D.C., the Chicago Sun-Times learned that some Major League Baseball moguls in both the American and National Leagues already have begun behind-the-scenes discussion of ways to help Finley break his long-term baseball lease with the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum Board. Finley moved his baseball team to Oakland before the 68 season and at that time signed a 20-year stadium lease. The lease has 16 years yet to run and is believed to carry a $300,000 annual penalty clause if Finley were to move the team elsewhere before the lease is up. This report is coming from Jerome Holtzman of the Chicago Sun-Times, and he is one of the most respected sports writers in all of the United States, so you got to think there's something to this. Holtzman contacted Finley in Oakland, and he conceded that he had heard that some of his fellow baseball owners would support him 
if he wanted to move his Oakland Athletics to Washington. But Finley said, I don't want to say anything about it right now. I don't want to get into hot water here with the people of Oakland. So he's holding his cards close to the vest right now. And they're probably going to hire one of those uh, uh, companies that helps you get out of timeshares. Uh, Timeshares weren't even a thing, I don't think, back in 1971. But interesting concept. The National Hockey League in Washington, D.C. John Gilbert of the Minneapolis Star had some interesting news this week about the WHA. The University of Minnesota hockey coach is Glenn Somnor, who's from Hamilton, Ontario, by the way. And John Gilbert reports that Somnor is going to resign within the week to take over as the coach and general manager of the St. Paul franchise in the World Hockey Association. Gilbert reports that Sumner is going to meet with the new Minnesota athletic director, Paul Guile, on, uh, I guess it was going to be Wednesday of this week, and recommend that should he make the move, that the university hire as his replacement, former assistant coach, Herb Brooks. Somnor missed the goal for his pregame meal on Tuesday before their game against the American Olympic team while meeting with Herb Brooks, who was Somner's assistant until this season. Brooks left when he was uh, basically snubbed in the pay in the payroll department and he went into private business, the insurance business. But Brooks apparently is willing to come back and take over the University of Minnesota if Glenn Somnor leaves for the professional ranks. And a little more WHA news in the same area of the world. Mike Lamy of the Minneapolis Star reports that at least four North Star players have been contacted by the World Hockey Association. Bill Goldsworthy, Jude Druin, Cesar Maniego, and Barry Gibbs all said Tuesday that they have been approached by the WHA, which plans to start operations next fall with a 12-team league, including the franchise in St. Paul. Most of the other Minnesota players said they hadn't been approached or they simply had no comment. A typical reply from a player was, why upset the apple cart with things going so well? North Stars, of course, best overall record in the NHL. One of the announced goals of the WHA is for each club to sign five players currently playing in the NHL. And of course, you know, a bidding war is going to be inevitable and something the players probably are really looking forward to. Goldsworthy said, it don't cost a dime to listen if the money's right. And if I could get a three or four year contract with the money in escrow, why wouldn't I do it? Jude Druin said, if that's where the money is, I'll go as well. Everybody's that way, aren't they? Jack Dolmage, the sports editor of the Windsor Star, uh, talked to Clarence Campbell this week, and he said, what's actually going on with this WHA thing? What do you think about it? Well, Campbell, uh, he asked a few questions, and uh, he said, well, would players be uh, uh, sort of subject to these uh, uh, bidding wars? And Campbell said, yeah, I suppose they would. He was asked, Campbell was asked, is the WHA, you know, are they actually selling tickets? And Campbell says, yeah, they actually are right now in Winnipeg and Calgary. And Calgary says the prices in those two cities are about six bucks. Campbell went on to say that uh, 
I can't say how they're doing with that. I would think money is one of their big problems. Campbell says he does not see much money behind the WHA teams. Uh, Campbell was asked by Dalmage if it was true that NHL stars had been approached by the WHA. And Campbell said, oh yeah, for sure. They've been talking to him. Again, it's a question of money. Campbell says that he thinks the players would want some show of security. The WHA will have trouble getting off the ground, according to Campbell. He says he expects they might hurt him by going under the age limit. That's a professional signing floor. Uh, the NHL is uh, in the player's 21st year. And of course, they're probably going to hold their own amateur draft. Campbell was asked about the WHA suing the NHL. And he said, yes, it's the beginning of what could be a long, drawn-out thing. We expected it. I can't imagine how they intend to establish the grounds for an antitrust suit. Campbell said that from what he could see, the WHA was trying to claim we double-crossed them by expanding. Uh, Campbell says it's if they think they have the right to tell the NHL when they can or cannot expand. This next story is from Mark Katz, who is a uh, sports writer for the Dayton, Ohio Daily News. And Dayton, Ohio is, of course, one of the cities going to be a charter member of the World Hockey Association. And this was, for me at least, the very first time I've come across Gordy Howe and his name being associated with the WHA. Now, Gordy was in Dayton this week promoting a line of hockey equipment that he endorses. In addition to that, of course, he's vice president of the Red Wings uh, now that he's retired. Uh, Gordy told Katz when he retired, Mr. Norris asked him if he'd like to coach, and Gordy said uh, he wasn't really interested in it. He didn't want to get into the day-to-day operation of the team at this point in time. But... That did not mean that he wouldn't think of coaching in the future, and it was suggested it could be with the World Hockey Association. Mark Katz asked Gordy about this, and Gordy said that uh, he would consider it. Gordy elaborated, the first thing I do is I check into, uh, would the money be what I need to have? If they offered me the world, I suppose I would do it. I feel I could coach. Gordy says. The interview then just talked about Gordy's experience in retirement. At no time did the mention of Gordy coming back to play in the WHA ever pop up in this interview. And the next time it comes around, we'll of course, uh, if we find it, we'll be talking about it. But at this point, the idea of Gordy Howe going to the WHA has now been floated, although not as a player. Here's one we talked about a little bit before, not much detail, but the Philadelphia Flyers are going to use a computer to help their scouts with their amateur draft picks. Uh, A question would be, would he hit his mother if she had the puck? If the Flyer scout checks yes to that question, you can bet the junior prospect's computer rating will be a lot higher than if the answer was no. Uh, Even though the computer might shudder at the thought, the Flyers would love it. Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Toronto have plugged in with the Optimum Systems of California, PSLTO, as the first National Hockey League teams to use computer-aided scouting. 
Optimum has assisted Dallas, San Francisco, and Los Angeles of the NFL. Flyers general manager Keith Allen says that they feel the computer can probably evaluate players better than we can. Of course, the information we get from the computer will only be as good as the information we give it. And it's the same thing 50 years later with the computer, garbage in, garbage out. What they've done 50 years later is enhanced the spreadsheets, the databases that, uh, are used to uh, analyze players' performance. The difference is so much more information that can be quantified is fed into the computers now. Back in those days, it was all on a gut feeling by a scout. Some of these scouts were outstanding and some were not. Here's an update on the Oakland or California Golden Seals, Tom Webster, the uh, player with the sore back. Well, the Seals placed Webster this week on the NHL disabled list, and they said his future as a hockey player was, quote, very questionable because of a congenital spinal condition that requires surgery. Now, Tommy's only 23, and he just played in a handful of games for the Seals after he was acquired from the Red Wings early in the season in the one-for-one trade for defenseman Ron Stackhouse. Charles O'Finley, owner of the Seals, said Webster will undergo an operation soon consisting of a lumbar laminectomy and lumsacral bone fusion. Finley said a medical examination here disclosed Webster had been suffering for more than a year from the condition not related to any injury. Webster, who had 30 goals and 37 assists for the Red Wings last season, was in hospital for almost a month here before being released from the infirmary this week. He's going to return to his home in Niagara Falls, Ontario, and uh, the the, uh, Seals are going to have to get along without him. Finley is not saying whether he asked uh, the Red Wings to void the trade, we would find out later in the week that the Red Wings have taken the stance that they didn't know anything about this, although there is evidence that the training staff was dealing with Webster's back last year, and the Red Wings are not, they say, going to give California any other compensation for Tom Webster. Now, you remember we told you uh, a while ago about the former NHL goalie Don Simmons, uh, now the coach of the Welland Sabres of the Southern Ontario Junior Hockey League. Uh, We told you he was suspended by the OHA indefinitely. We found out this week how long indefinitely actually is, according to the Ontario Hockey Association. He has received a 14-game suspension for pulling his team off the ice on November 22nd. That was in a league game at Brantford, Ontario. Don uh, apparently withdrew his team to profess the officiating of uh, one Brad Horton, someone we were very familiar with at the time in his uh, officiating career. The Sabres were losing 6-3 with two and a half minutes left in the game. Uh, He was suspended indefinitely by the OHA immediately after the game. They met this week and decided to extend his suspension to January 1st. And Jadario, a really good Welland guy, the manager of the team, he's been coaching the team while while Dippy's been off, but he's going to be back in the new year.
By the end of the week, actually, Friday, Bill Hunter, Wild Bill Hunter of the World Hockey Association's Edmonton franchise, he was dropping hints that his team has already signed some players. Hunter was telling Vancouver writers this week that he has quote, half a dozen players under WHA contracts for 1972, and the salary range these guys have been signed at is about $35,000 a year. What Hunter is not saying is if these guys are amateurs turning pro, if they are minor league players from the Western Hockey League, the American Hockey League, or the Central Hockey League, or if these are guys from the NHL. I can tell you this. A regular NHL star is not going to the WHA for 35 grand. And we have a nice story out of Kirkland Lake, Ontario, in, in Northern Ontario this week. And by the way, oh, I guess it'd be a little more than 10 years ago. I spent a winter in the New Liskard, uh, Kirkland Lake, Cobalt area. Uh, doing an investigation for the provincial government. I had a great time up there. Great people in uh, that, that uh, Temiskaming area. And uh, I got to see the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame that they built, Northern Ontario Hockey Hall of Fame there. Quite an interesting uh, uh, historical uh, location up at that place. Well, this week, 50 years ago, a seven-ton stainless steel monument to 35 National Hockey League players who call Kirkland Lake uh, their home was unveiled this week. On hand for the unveiling of the monument, donated by the Jones and Lachlan Steel Corporation, where Frank Selke Sr., former Montreal Canadiens general manager, and Lefty Reed, the curator of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Several hundred townspeople braved near zero weather and in December in Kirkland Lake, that was not unusual, near zero weather. And uh, they uh, attended the unveiling of the monument, which has bronze plaques attached to its front, bearing the names of the 35 players. Some of the names of the players on the uh, monument include Bill Dernan, a goaltender with the Montreal Canadiens from 1943 to 1950, Ted Lindsay, a left winger on the production line of Red Wings fame with Sid Abel and Gordie Howe, and he played for the Red Wings from 1944 through 19 and Chicago by the way through 1965. Floyd Curry played with the Canadians from 1947 to 1958. Now there's some active NHL players on the plaques as well and they include Mike Walton of the Boston Bruins, the Plager brothers, Bob Barkley and Billy of the Blues, Ralph Backstrom of the LA Kings, Mickey Redmond of the Red Wings and his brother Dick Redmond of the California Seals. And also on the monument, probably the most popular player out of Kirkland Lake ever, and that is Dickie Duff, who recently retired after 17 seasons in the NHL, most famously a Toronto Maple Leaf. So that's this week's show, everyone. Uh, lots of neat things going on. A couple of nice stories. Uh, what did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that Derek Sanderson says he has received a substantial contract from the WHA. Four Minnesota North Stars say they've received contracts, but Bobby Hull, the biggest catch of them all, says he hasn't received an offer yet, and they're keeping their cards close to the vest there. 
A story emerged that Charlie Finley is going to move his baseball A's and hockey seals to Washington, D.C., but the one hang-up is Charlie has a 20-year lease with the Oakland people for the stadium, and if he goes early with 16 years left on the lease, he's got to pay $300,000 for every year that he leaves early. I don't think Charlie's got that kind of money to throw around right now. And we got our first, although completely misguided, idea that the WHA might be in Gordie Howe's future. This was all talk about Gordie being a coach, not being a player. So here's a little bit about what we're working on for next week's show. The Red Wings are going to take a stand on the disputed trade with the Seals involving Tom Webster. Uh, We'll probably hear from Ned Harkness next week on what he's going to say about this whole thing. The Toronto Marlboros next week will reveal that Gordie Howe's other hockey-playing son, Mark, is going to suit up with the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A team in January. Actually, maybe even by the end of December. But Willie, there are some hurdles to this story. And finally, next week, there will be a trade. It's not a major trade, but... The Blues and Canadians are going to make a one-for-one swap. But when you hear the deal, you might get a little bit confused with the names. And we'll tell you all about that next week. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Colt. We can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Andy's now in the business of producing podcasts professionally. And if you're thinking of starting one up, get hold of me. I'll hook you up with Andy. He's one of the best in the business. He's a true media professional. Very popular uh, Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. If you ever get a chance to see them perform live, they put on a great high-energy show. Other musical pieces and sound effects are by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many many fine publications found at one of our sponsors, newspapers.com. Don't forget our other sponsors, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario, makers of some of the finest craft beers in southern Ontario. You can find us on Twitter every day at at Hockey50Years. We're on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. We have a page there and we have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. You can get us each week here on the Hockey Podcast Network to your favorite podcast app. And also don't forget our Patreon page. Uh, Subscribing to the podcast really helps us pay the bills. This 1971-72 season is really going to be uh, an important one throughout hockey history as this uh, NHL expansion bringing on another couple of teams for next year and also announcing a couple more teams in a couple years. Plus, the World Hockey Association reshapes the hockey landscape in ways we couldn't have seen coming, and we hope you'll be with us all the way as we tell you about it. And on that note, we'll see you next time. When the eye-